Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Methetes. So I'm Hannah. I'm the educational engagement intern at IRC, and Bryce is going to introduce a little bit about what Methetes is. All right, Bryce. Can you hear me? Sorry. Um, <laughs> I was muted. Hey, it's great to be with you all here on this uh, what, Wednesday, I was going to say Tuesday, Thursday, where are we? We're in week six. It is wild to think we are halfway through the semester. It has been quite a year, uh, to say the least. There's a lot going on in the world, a lot going on at Fox, um, and it's an honor to be with you. I am super excited about the conversation tonight. Hannah's going to share a little bit more about the content, um, but I wanted to share a little bit about the structure. So for those for whom this is your first time attending Methetes, um, I say welcome and thank you for being here. Methetes is Greek for disciple. And the hope is that this can be a space where we are collectively edified by one another. We know that having intense conversations can be difficult. I think that's especially true. Anybody that's involved or watches politics knows as of last, for example, last night, conversations can get really messy. So hopefully tonight can be a little bit more productive than last night was. Is that, that fair to say? All right. <laughs> like, ooh, he's getting political. Uh, yeah, if you weren't ready for a conversation tonight to get a little bit political, get ready. I'm warning you, right? Life can be political. I think politics can be an outward expression of some of our inner values and morals and ways in which we love people. And so as we think about Methetes, this really is a space where we're meant to grapple with hard questions together. So uh, Methetes uh, is always structured the same way. We have a topic and we always bring panelists who have expertise and perspective. So there's always at least one student perspective, one staff or faculty perspective, as well as a community member perspective. And so we're blessed from the perspectives of, of folks that are coming from different walks of life, different forms of education, in the hopes that we can all grow. Uh, we'll be here for about an hour and a half, trying to wrap up around 8.30. The first 45 minutes is an opportunity for the panelists to engage as well as model for us what it means to be convicted uh, in our beliefs while also uh, centering one another's humanity. The second uh, half of the latter 45 minutes is really an open forum, and so Hannah will remind us of some good community ground rules as we engage, so the hope is that we could then collectively begin to wrestle with some of these questions, too. Cool. I'm going to turn it back over to Hannah, who's going to frame this evening as well as give a brief introduction of our panelists. Thank you, Bryce. Okay, so like I said, I'm Hannah, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm going to be kind of running this joint tonight. And so basically, we're going to be talking about protests and what the Christian's role is in this. People who are Zooming in, you might not all identify as Christian, you might not all be spiritual, but we are trying to talk about like as a Christian institution, these are conversations we need to be having. And so um, we're going to just be talking about what protest is, what it should be, where we should be involved with it, ways the church has or hasn't been involved with it. So I am going to ask each of these panelists to introduce themselves and kind of their relationship with the church and their relationship to George Fox. Keisha, can we start with you? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Keisha Gordon. I'm the Associate Director of the Undergraduate Admissions uh, Office, and I work specifically with recruited athletes. I graduated from George Fox in 2012. I'm an alum and I've worked here going on eight years. I just first wanted to say like as an alum where Fox looks very different than the way it looks today like this just like is a warm spot to, to see students who are seeking truth and hard conversations so I just feel super grateful for that. Um, for me I 
am a Christian. You know, for me, Jesus is a big part of my life and how I walk in life. And I feel like with the church specifically, I think I wrote to Hannah, is it okay to say it's complicated? Because that's how I feel. As a person of color, being in a very white um, environment from both my workplace, my relationship, in the church setting, it's been hard to try and figure out, like, how do I fit in this place? So I've been a part of churches for years, and then I've had to step away because of some hurts, some of that specifically with race. And recently started going within the last year to a church in Portland, Imago Day on the east side. Um, and that's been a good place to be with some things that I care about. That's me, pronoun she, hers, hers, and just super excited to share space with you all tonight. I'm going to kick it off to Rusty. All right. Hey, hello, everyone. I'm Rusty St. Cyr. Uh, he, him, his. I am a campus pastor for Christian Community Development. I'm one of four pastors, Jamie, Jamie, Gabby, and myself. Uh, this is my uh, 11th year at George Fox, I think. I, I came here via lots of places, but I was raised by a pack of Pentecostals in South Louisiana. That's, that's where I started. And they introduced me, a pack of Cajun and Latino Pentecostals introduced me to Jesus. And then the last 10 years, I've been worshiping with very quiet, introverted Quakers who also, they, they're really into the Holy Spirit too, but they also kind of like think things should be just and fair and equitable in the world. And they, um, they stand uh, in, in support and solidarity with people really well. So I call myself a Quake Costal. Um, <laughs> and I'm glad to be here. I love the students that come here. I love learning from students and I love Mephetes. It's one of my favorite new things the last few years to partner with and I love the conversations that come out of this. So I'm really happy to be here and yeah, I'll pass it over to Mercy. Hi, uh, my name is Mercy, uh, pronouns are she, her. And um, I was raised uh, very evangelical in the church my whole entire life. Um, and a couple years ago, I definitely like moved away from the church and deconstructed my faith pretty, heavily and then just in like the last probably like six to eight months honestly have kind of come much closer and I, I wouldn't call myself a Christian at this point but I really love and value a lot of the things I learned from the church from relationships within the church and I think it's informed a lot of the way that I see the world uh, in a really positive way and Sorry, the other part of the question was... Relationship to George Fox. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, not a ton of relationship. I've just known Hannah for like 10 years, I think, and she asked me to be part of this panel because I've been uh, uh, heavily involved up in Portland with the protests over the last few months. So I'll pass it on to uh, Victoria. Yeah, my name is Victoria Prieto. I'm a junior sociology major at Fox, currently an IRC intern. Yeah, uh, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, Spanish-speaking, really Latino or Latinx community. I think my relationship with the church right now is kind of like ambiguous. I don't really know what's up. I'm kind of disappointed in the church. So I guess I could say like status is complicated. And yeah, my pronouns are she, her. 
Awesome. Thank you guys so much. And I am just so grateful. I've said this a billion times, but I'm so grateful to you guys for being part of this super important conversation. And to those of you who are listening, I tried really hard to get a variety of panelists who are involved in protests in different ways. That way we can have like a well-rounded discussion of different areas in which we protest and stuff like that. So <laughs> thank you, Bryce. Um, Bryce is also the best. He's giving up I believe basketball to be here. And so we are eternally grateful to him. So the first question, and you guys can answer, you don't have to answer each question. I think the first one I'd like you each to answer. So what does protest mean to you and how are you involved in it? To me, fundamentally protest means a disruption of whatever system or like set of rules or you know whatever you feel is not right with the world or with your part of the world it is it is an intentional disruption of that to bring attention to it like that that specific word that like disruption is key in that uh, to me personally um and i'm involved currently um in a lot of the things that are going on in portland right now I've been in the streets a lot. I've been part of several different mutual aid groups that uh, help folks on the ground with whatever they might need. I'm part of a collective that helps with uh, disabled folks uh, getting accessibility to protesting because like that's something that in the past has been really overlooked. And I feel like because disabled people have been barred from so many things in life just inherently i feel like that is also a form of protest against the systems that oppress people just like you know subset in the larger uh things that we're protesting and i'm also involved uh in jail support which is more what i'm doing now i'm spending less time actually at direct action marches and much more time um helping organize and being on the ground behind the Multnomah County Detention Center in Portland. We are there 24 hours a day with food, uh, water, money to get people home, cigarettes, anything, whatever people need, we hope we have it when they're released from jail. Even if they weren't uh, arrested at a protest, we are there for anyone who is released because as people who are protesting police brutality, and the prison industrial complex taking care of the people that are like, you know, being detained by them is a huge part of that. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm up to. I mean, I'll just like piggyback a little bit off of what Mercy said, but to me, protests, I think inherently there's this recognition that something is not right, that something is not in the way that it should be in this direct intentionality of wanting to fix that. Um, or say, I love that word of disrupting it. And it's going against the grain. It is um, adamant for change to come. And for me, it's, it's been an interesting um, thing of how that actually shows up in my life. Um, I have only been at one protest, uh, which was this summer in Newburgh, shortly after the murder of George Floyd. And in a way that was like, wow, Newburgh, like, okay, y'all are a little bit louder than I thought. Um, that was, it was a in, a, in a small way, a way of seeing people in this community who have hearts 
to see that there's something wrong and that something needs to change. And for a personal level, I'm just trying to figure out the ways on a professional level, like getting to work at a Christian university, how does that show up? How do I protest in the ways in which I can support support Black students, students coming from marginalized communities? Um, how do we engage in these conversations? So I'm kind of in this mindset of like, I'm not subscribing to the ways in which we've done things, and I'm ready to kind of be a part of that disruption on a systemic level of the educational system in the ways that I can. So that's an ongoing thing that I'm currently trying to wrestle with. I can only speak from the the roles that I play in my life. Uh, primarily, I, as a family member, a parent, and a husband, I know protests very well. Uh, from my children, every night I get protested. <laughs> and from my wife sometimes, they tell you, this is not the way, the opposite of the Mandalorian quote, this is not how things will go. Uh, I also feel, I know what protest is from my role as a pastor, Pastor is this shepherd word, and shepherds, people who want to actually feel more like a lead sheep, not a shepherd. But we, we want, again, we want to say, this is the way. That means this is not the way. And it's buried, leave it to me to get preachy, it's buried in our, um, in our text, our, our faith text, even in this word we throw around called the gospel. The word gospel, euangelion, is a propaganda political word that Christian, early Christians latched onto for their own movement. Uh, they began to say the things, say things like Jesus is Lord. That means Caesar's not Lord. And that was a phrase they would always say, Caesar is Lord. That was the original phrase. And the Christians, early Christians said, no, this one who died for others, that the lamb who's slain is Lord. This is the way. And so when you're saying that's the way, you're also saying that's not the way. The Caesar way is not the way. The violent empire way is not the way. And so when we are living in community and when I'm living in my family and I'm bonded with people and, and there are systems grinding them up, I can't do, I, I can't always just wear a pastor hat off. I also have to wear that prophet hat that says, this is not the way. And you and often, if you're following Jesus, this is my conviction, if you're following Jesus, the faith is incarnated. It's like, you have to embody it. You have to walk it out in the flesh with people which means public square, which means showing up, uh, which means your body is vulnerable in places. Oftentimes, uh, that means you stand in solidarity with people who are being grounded up by systems that aren't the way. Uh, so that's deeply connected to my faith. I've only begun to, similar to Keisha, I've only got, begun to get to know it personally in, well, in the last 10 years or so. But the more that I do it, I feel like the gospel comes to life when I go back to read about what Jesus and them did, uh, it comes to life to me that it makes a lot more sense that my faith isn't just about a ticket to heaven. It's also about uh, what is going on now. How is the kingdom of God being embodied now in the public square? Yeah. So kind of like what's already been said to me, protest is kind of a display, like an intentional display of the lack of peace that's already present in people and present in our system. So it's kind of like bringing to light all the unrest. And I think like, protest it can be made manifest in like different ways so, like the first way is at an individual level so like you can actively protest like a bias that you've been taught and you do that every day and then you can actively protest like in conversation like when someone says something that's like not correct so you protest that and you stand up for what you think is correct and then there's like protests that can be done in like a community which is like the protests of the streets and I think like it kind of just like builds off of each, each other. So you need to be able to protest the biases like you have 
to be able to protest in conversation and to be able to protest in the streets. That's kind of like what I think protest is. Awesome. Okay, so my next question, and all, all of these are pretty broad, so, you know, answer them how you feel is, like, applicable to you or what you believe. So my next question is, how has the American church been involved or not been involved in protest? So, like, things that the church has done well in protest, things that the church has done poorly. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Real quick, my mind went with that question went straight to what's the backstory what's the history I even wanted to go I wonder if Christians were involved in the Boston Tea Party uh, I wonder if they're there I know that they hung lanterns at the front of a church before they went and dumped all that tea but I don't know how much Christians were involved but it got me thinking like probably what is the case throughout Christians history in America is that Christians have been on both sides of lots of things whether it was slavery or being part of the Underground Railroad, the abolitionists, like simultaneously the church was was not was not pointing the right direction and pointing the right direction in many of these. Yeah, so I think historically, it's hard to say how has the American church been involved in it, and that is, is a complex question, I think, in church history in America. I will just speak from my own experience because I think it can be easy to generalize different systems and see and kind of just cast that as a whole thing. So in my experiences of being a part of a church, you know, as a person of color and being a part, lots of, of growing up and then even here in the Newburgh area, surrounding areas, to me, I haven't seen until like most recently with the current church that I'm at, in my experiences, the churches I've been part of have not been quick to protest something that would shake the current system that would potentially take away from people who are giving like you know i think that sometimes in the in the churches i've been a part of there's this nervousness or there's this fear of like we can't say something to make it political we can't do anything because it will disrupt we will have people leave we won't get to have enough sustainability and I think that there's this fear of we can't shake the boat. In some ways, the church is really good at protesting what we aren't about and who we exclude. Like some churches are real good about saying who doesn't get to belong in the pews. But it hasn't been until recently where I'm like, I, I think especially as Christians, as people of faith, we have to be in this. Like I, you know, I think for even from a conversation when I was talking with my parents who my dad is black my mom is Samoan. She thinks she's black though. So that's really confusing. So, um, <laughs> but I remember them going to church shortly after George Floyd was murdered. And my mom was saying something in the sense like churches just need to stick with what they do and they can't make things political. And I'm just like, how can we not talk about these things? Like how as Christians, if we are following the ways of Jesus, how can we not be the ones to lead the way? In the ways in which I've seen some churches who have been like, we cannot do anything but to respond. Like it, it just is in our DNA. It's in the person that we follow and serve, which does sometimes lead to people leaving. But to me, I'm like, I'm not going to be a part of a, of a church or a place where people aren't ready to just get things unraveled because we've been in this place for too long. Yeah. And kind of like going off that, like I'm completely disappointed in the church. Like my whole family's in the church. My dad's a pastor. And like, I've had so many conversations, like just simply directly about like, like the Portland protests. 
And everyone's just like so quick to be like, this is violent and this is ungodly. And like, this is not what God wants for his people. And like, but then it's like so like hypocritical because then I'll go on my social media and then I'll definitely see people protesting the like churches are closing. And I'm like, you should really think about what you're representing, like when you're protesting. And yeah, I just think the church doesn't want to be political at times, but the church is already political and like people are making the church political by their silence, you know? They're like silenced to stand up for the people that are being completely like, yeah, for the oppression that's been like going on. Like I needed the church to represent that. So I guess I don't see the church very present. And I wish that there were church leaders that were more open about who they're trying to support and who they want to see, like feel God's love and God's comfort. Um, And I don't think it's the people that are sitting comfortably in churches. Yeah. Going off of, uh, what like all of you said honestly like just kind of general disappointment in the church currently definitely uh, is on the top of my mind and when i was thinking about this question like what ways has the church participated in protest uh, or not or or participated in ways that you know i think are good or not um i was i immediately thought of that worship leader from bethel Mm -hmm. who has been going around the united states holding these like prayer worship revival tour and i don't know if he's still doing it but it was happening most of the summer you know he was encouraging people not to wear masks and he was he was protesting churches being shut down and And he came to Portland and his message for Portland was like, we need to bring love back to the streets of Portland. That made me realize like, oh man, I disagree so fundamentally with the way that he is framing what he's doing. I mean, I disagree with what he's doing in its entirety, let's just be clear. But that that specific reason for coming was just so fascinating to me because like what he was what he and his you know people from his church are protesting was not a lack of love it was a lack of like personal freedom i think which is off in my mind the antithesis of what these what the protests in portland are about because they are about like taking care of each other and standing up for you know, like people who are less privileged than you, people who are being oppressed by the system. And that to me is an act of love. And so then I was thinking like, well, what, where can I find examples of the church uh, protesting in a way that to me seems loving and seems like standing up for other people. And it, it was hard, admittedly, I couldn't really find any specific examples admittedly I did not look very long it it was just it was just fascinating to me because I was able to find a lot of ways in which the church has protested things like gay rights and integrating schools in the 60s and like abortion rights and all of these things that they feel are an infringement like on their personal freedom and I just thought that was a, a very interesting thing to think about. I, I don't really have like a ton more to say than that, but that was just something to think about. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about what Sean Fuchs, I think his name is. I think that's, yeah. <laughs> pronounce it. 
but I think something that's interesting about like, like you said, that concept of like bringing love back to Portland, back to the streets of Portland. And so many Christians have been saying, oh, it's so hypocritical for people to allow these protests, but not allow for churches to reopen and all of these things. Like you said, I personally think that protest is an act of love, you know, like the, the verse that everyone always brings up, Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? And so I just think that it's, it's a calling. And that kind of goes into our next question is, are Christians called to protest? Where, where do you see that calling or where do you see that it is not a calling? And in what ways should we protest? There's a lot of different ways through being in the streets, through things like jail support, mutual aid, education, um, all of these things. So what do you think the Christian's role is, which is kind of our overarching question. What is the Christian's role in protest? It's kind of reiterating what I mentioned a little bit before, but I think profess, professing and protesting are two sides of the same coin. Uh, I hear it in Jesus, actually, in Luke, his, the Beatitudes, you know, the blesseds, blessed are the poor and all that. In Luke, those are followed by woes. Woe are the rich. Woe are the, you know, woe, woe, woe. And they're right there next to each other. Good news and bad news sandwiched together in the same gospel according to Luke. And for me, as a imitator of Jesus Christ, as Jesus, the, the, Jesus Lord also means the way of Caesar is not Lord. So I, I feel my Christian faith calls me to profess and protest like simultaneously. And sometimes that means publicly in the streets. And for me, it's more connected to when something is impacted my neighborhood, my community, people I know, my family members of color, my uh, students that in my community and that I'm already in solidarity with, that helps me decide instead of I'm just like spinning a wheel, what's the, what's the cause of the day that I want to be a part of? It's more like, no, I'm in relationship in community in my neighborhood. And because of that, I notice people are being edged out of Newburgh because of the cost of living. And most of those people have brown skin and they've lived there a long time and some of them were our students. And so when that happens, it's like all of a sudden, this is not right. And to profess and protest same time means that's not the way. We Gentrification is not the way. For me, a great model of this, and this is where I really probably 12, 13 years ago, really started to, uh, light bulbs started going into my heart and my mind about faith and uh, the embodiment of that in social that social aspect of the world was Dr. Martin Luther, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. His vocation as a pastor and preacher drew and called him into, into being a Moses type person, somebody who had to talk to the pharaohs of his day and say, let my people go. These are my people and look at what's going on. And he had to talk to not only the overt white supremacy, you know, he also had to talk to the covert white supremacist in the church and he wrote letter of Birmingham jail and that was like to white Christian leaders and so he had to profess and protest constantly and ended up taking his life so I mean he his whole vocation and his his life and his death were his was his role as a Christian primarily and as a neighbor and as a leader and as a black man in America when I watched the white leaders who did listen to what he was saying and kind of stood in solidarity with him and the others that were leading that, many others leading that movement, I get a little bit of a clue on, oh, what does it mean for me to be living in my social location and history as a white man who believes in Jesus and who was a brown man, led his people. 
so like this solidarity, uh, lamenting publicly, as well as the joy that comes from when you're in that solidarity with people, even though you feel vulnerable and you, you don't want this to happen anymore. You don't want to have to be protesting, but it goes together with professing that Jesus is Lord. Sorry, that was kind of long. Um, I kind of want to answer this question because I wish that this question were easier to answer. Like what is the Christian's role in protest? Um, but like my unfiltered thought and unformed thought is I think the church should protest its own like institution that has kept so many people outside their doors. I think the church needs to confront itself and be like, oh, why have we not accepted the LGBTQ community? Why have we not professed that Black, Black Lives Matter? Why have we not said that immigrant lives matter? Like, why are we not talking about this? And like, I think the, pro like, the church needs to protest itself and like confront that. And then from that point forward, deal with it. You know what I mean? Like they can now say that publicly and like be able to stand with the people that like, that like, like kind of like the Black Lives Matter movement. Like I wish that there was pastors that were like, yeah, this is what we're about. And like, this is what we care about. And like, yeah, so I think the church kind of needs to protest itself. I'm sorry to all the church goers. I love the church. I think worshiping God is great and like you should do it, but also consider the way that you could worship God with other people that don't just look like you. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I want. Well, I think too, like when I think of the, when I think of like the teachings of Jesus and think of potentially of like how we enter into the story, like I think of our faith as being a protest in general. Like if we're reading the scriptures and, and knowing that like this isn't the end for us, so knowing that all these things that are happening of like catastrophes, like health crisis, like the fact that there's like freaking wildfires, like destroying homes and people, like we can all acknowledge that like this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I think for Christians, like sometimes it's easier to pick which things that we want to protest. But I think with the way of Jesus, it's not like a buffet where we get to choose which parts we enter into the story. Like when you follow Jesus, you're, you're picking out, like it's everything. I think that that's a hard thing because right now it's not the norm and it's uncomfortable. It causes divisions among the family table. It's awkward with people who don't want to, who don't believe in what you're believing. And that's okay. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with conflict and doing that in safe places with people that you trust. But for me, it's like, what Jesus is calling me to is an act of protest in my daily life. And so this, to me saying Black Lives Matter, my life matters, like that isn't any different than the ways in which Jesus was always with the people who are marginalized, was always against destroying systems that were oppressing people. Like that's the God that we serve. And so for me, it's not, it's not a different thing. So when people tell me like, you know, well, I don't agree with the ways in which you're going about it. Like, honestly, that's the wrong thing to be asking. And Hannah, that's going probably into the next question, but that is literally the wrong thing. Why are we talking about the ways in which what is okay to, what is okay to protest? What is okay to do? Why are we doing that though? Why are people, why are people still being oppressed and still being caught in the system? And majority of Christians, evangelical Christians are like, that's actually not our thing. That's, that's not going to be something that we're going to touch because that is too political. Jesus was always about the people that he was with. He was always about people and community. And so for me, those two things are woven together. If you're not protesting something as a Christian, like, and I'm saying anything, 
you're a little bit too comfortable. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Echo that and the chat because they said <laughs> a good reference to Jesus messing up some tables. I mean, they didn't crucify Jesus because he was doing the process the right way. They, they crucified him because he was a threat. He was constantly opposing a different way that was a threat to the systems that were. And one of those examples was he, he got a whip and he started moving people out of the temple because they were oppressing people in the name of God in the temple with, mm -hmm. uh, with the economic system of their day, burdening people in God's name. And he wasn't going to have it. And there was many other times that he did things that was such a threat that they were going to kill him for it. The mob, they were going to lynch him. And he somehow escaped over and over until the end. And the cross at the end is a state-sanctioned lynching, which mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. what we're still seeing today in many ways. So kind of like you said, Keisha, kind of going into the next question, um, protest tactics is something that is being seriously debated in the world right now in our country and especially in the church. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to protest, like I mentioned, um, but I want to specifically talk about um, peaceful protesting versus rioting. What is the role of each of those? Um, in what ways is it effective? When is, and this is kind of an overarching question, like when do we riot and when do we peacefully protest? When are those things, when is one making more change than the other? When is one more necessary than the other? And maybe how is the church, how has the church um, reacted to riots in a good way or a bad way? I guess good or bad is maybe not the best way to put it, but yes, riots. First off, I do not think that there is such thing as a peaceful protest, because if a protest is an active disruption of a system, uh, then it is inherently not peaceful because because I think as Victoria said you are uh, bringing to light the inherent uh, lack of peace uh, that is being pushed upon you know a different oppressed people groups in currently like we are fighting for black liberation and that is something that is just inherently not going to be peaceful um, now I think protests can absolutely be nonviolent. I think there's a there's a big difference in the in the terminology there. Well, I think that if a if a protest is peaceful, then it is simply a walk around the block, you know, <laughs> like which in itself I I think that's great. It can bring awareness to something, you know, large groups of people turning out is great, but I but I don't think that can be called a protest personally. Now, to me a riot really is just such a tricky word because like legally it means uh, I think three or more people acting toward like a shared goal in a way that like endangers public safety <laughs> I think is like the, the like vague legal definition of that so like yes many of the actions in Portland have been riots where that word gets real tricky though is just you know what what is violence what is a danger to public safety i would argue that the thing we are protesting is a danger to public safety and so like what is <laughs> like which which outweighs the other when we're talking about like long long term consequences 
so many of the like nonviolent protests that I have been at, which are most of them, so many of the of the of the peaceful protests, the nonviolent protests that I have been at have been declared riots. And it's it's just fascinating to me to see the the reaction toward what is a peaceful protest. Like there is no violence happening. There is no bodily harm. There's no harm against human bodies happening. And still, you know, the police are sent in to arrest dozens of people and and hurt people. And, you know, and it's just so so that so that differentiation between peaceful protest and riot is just nearly meaningless to me personally. Like I really can't I really can't find a clear line between those things in the eyes of the state, in the eyes of any of the people that I've been protesting with. Like, I feel like you would hear a very similar opinion. I think the thing that comes to mind is maybe how my uh, lenses view that word peace and peaceful. Um, I don't see the words peace or peaceful being conflict avoidant. I see peace like because we have this little chapel called shalom we talk about this a lot shalom is about wholeness when things are working the way they should be so there's this bigger bigger overarching worldview of peace for me that makes me think you can be peacefully pro protesting without avoiding conflict you can present the conflict because you're like my children telling me this is not right dad they're not being not peaceful they're just saying peace is not happening in the home so stop it, make it stop. I think when I listen to way more, you know, learned and experienced, not just protesters, but community organizing developers, I hear in them that this concept of you, we don't want to fight fire with fire kind of thing. We don't want to try to eliminate darkness with something that's just as dark in a different way. Like to me, riots really, when something turns it from a protest to a riot, it's not just glass was broken. It's the group mentality takes over a new shape of power to inflict fear upon whoever's in the path. Like people got lynched because a riot happened, right? That's how people got lynched because a riot, a group a mob mentality takes over. And then the group, just, it, it turns into something else. I don't know if, and like Mercy's saying, I, don't, I think a lot of things have been tagged riot, maybe because the law enforcement has riot gear on or, or something else. Maybe it's maybe it's being escalated to some, or maybe you know a lot of, a lot of things complex things at play. When just when stuff's being broken, and I don't condone that. I don't think that's necessarily the way. I would also listen to Dr. King, who would say when riots or um, damage of property happens, he didn't condone it, but he's like you can't caution that without cautioning the the uh, conditions that created the riot, right? So he would always say you can't outcry against the the violent, you know protesting and not outcry the conditions. Actually. I have that quote if you want me to read it. I probably butchered it really well. So yes, please. <laughs> yeah. So he's so he's just responding to like white church leaders in letter to letter from Birmingham jail. Um, and he says, in your statement you assert that our actions, even though peaceful, must be condemned because they precipitate violence. But is this a logical assertion? Isn't this like condemning a robbed man because his possession of money precipitated the evil act of robbery? Isn't this like condemning Socrates because his unswerving commitment to truth and his philosophical inquiries pre precipitated the act by the misguided populace in which they made him drink hemlock? 
isn't this like condemning Jesus because his unique God consciousness and never ceasing devotion to God's will precipitated the evil act of crucifixion? So yeah, it's essentially saying like the, the criticism is so surface level that it, that it like, you're, you're not seeing the imbalance of power. You're not seeing the, you know, you're, you're victim blaming essentially. That's key. And noticing the power dynamics, I think is key for a lot of these conversations. Uh, when people are feeling powerless and then they go out in public, you still, you feel even just as powerless where the power dynamics at play. One of the, one of the uh, historical ones that just always blows my mind was the sit-ins. Every time I think of the sit-ins and the civil rights, um, these were young people, your guys' age, who trained themselves to sit in a deli or like a restaurant that was whites only, and they trained themselves to like endure whatever was going to come their way. That to me is like epitome visual of peaceful protest. It didn't mean they avoided conflict. They put themselves in the way on purpose to create conflict but they did not strike back. They didn't say anything back. They sat there because it should have been their right to sit there and they endured it. And that to me was like, that's, that's a different way that man, I wish I was that courageous like those young people. That kind of stuff sets a standard for me. I think this one is tricky still because, you know, I think for like a slightly different um, thing that hasn't been mentioned, like the thing that I think about quite a bit, if, you know, watching the news or seeing whether that's in Portland or somewhere else in the U.S. where like black neighborhoods or black owned stores or anything like that, where there is destruction, where things do cause actually more harm and oppression to the people actually living in the neighborhood. That to me, I'm like, how do you navigate that? Like, I don't think the right question is to say, are, is the, or is the, the riots, whatever, is that the right way to go about that? I don't think that's the question. I do think it's the deeper issue is like, why are we doing that? Out of this desperation of like, this has been an ongoing thing for 400 years, you know, and my, my dad, his family all was very involved in the civil rights movement. My dad actually was at Dr. King's funeral. And so like, when I talked to him about like, oh my gosh, can you, you know, can you believe what's happening? And to him, he's like, yeah, none of this is really new. Like, it, it does look different for sure. I mean, TikTok and all the other things make it very more accessible than, um, but he's like, the riots, all these things aren't new. And to me, it just goes back to the systemic um, issues, oppression that is continuing to happen, that's been happening for, for a long time. And I'm blanking on the woman who said this. Bryce had shared a video um, of an author and activist, um, and I think she was on the East Coast talking about like why there's so much destruction, why like the riots, why all of this. And the line that she said to me that still sticks out to me is people should just be happy that black people are looking for equality and not revenge. Like that's, that's exactly what's happening. It's like, we're not just trying to like burn sh- them. Stop. <laughs> I know this is being recorded. <laughs> we're not trying to destroy things for the sake of just blowing things up. Like there is a deeper issue here, a deeper systemic issue here. And that is what is happening is like people are seeking equality and the ways in which we've, we've tried to do that in the past, like it is not happening. How else will that happen? Thank you guys. Um, I know that's a really tough question. And so I really appreciate all of your thoughts on that. 
So we're going to move into questions from our audience. You can send these to me. I also have a list of questions that people sent in through the Google form. So one question that I think is really interesting. There were several professors who are hoping to listen to the podcast later that were asking questions like, how can using my voice in protest help me to use my voice in class and vice versa? So I think a kind of a broader version of this question is how do we integrate education in protest? Where do those need to come together? Are there places where that should be separated? Just to throw some stuff out there, I'll be quick. I think there's I think there's multiple thing, ways of protest. Disruption is one of them, like, or, or disruption is a good umbrella term for a lot of them, but there's also like non-compliance and things like that, or um, protesting with your vote, not just your voting in the ballot box, but your vote of how you use your time and your talent and your treasure. Like you can protest with your lifestyle. Like I feel uh, I, I'm supposed to profess and protest with my job as a preacher in chapel and that gets hard especially every time <laughs> every time they schedule me to speak right after trump wins or trump gets inaugurated that was some really tough chapels uh and but to hold intention to not be driven by partisan I idolatry but to still be a jesus follower who is fully political and i think that sometimes i think that weird sacred secular demarcation we like to make in american christianity sometimes is like i don't want to be political i think people mean they don't want to be partisan because those that two-party thing is i think idolatrous and we're conforming to it in the church i think we still have to like find the creative way of loving which also will mean creative way of protesting sometimes and that might surface in for you as the body of christ in the classroom uh, or in your jobs or wherever it might be. I think like in when it comes to like protesting in classrooms, it's like super important to know real history. Like you can protest so much if you just decide to read what actually happened in America and the founding of America. Like this is, you just need to inform yourself. You need to educate yourself on what actually happened in abolition like in abolition you know like that's what you need to do and i think it's like yeah i think that's where i see myself mostly protesting is like actively trying to understand real history and i think like professors and students have the right to demand real history and like knowing what actually happened so i think yeah that's important yeah on that i would say i'm not in school so like i'll keep this brief um i would say that like like whitewashed history is one of the things that upholds white supremacy in this country like one of the main pillars of that and so like being very intentional to unlearn the the history of this country from white people's perspective and then bring in real history and and point out like white supremacy in the classroom in your materials like constantly challenging that is just it's so important and that goes into professing like rusty said so and also yeah. and also with theology and church history and all yeah. that not yeah. just uh we need more amplified voices that didn't make the cut because they didn't have the power to be remembered but they brought the the good news they brought their expertise in their field I also am not a student. It's been a while, y'all. But um, I will, I think part of it ties into both 
the educational system and in church is that I know the thing that boils is when when it's just easier to stay silent and not talk about it at all. I've been in churches where I'm like a significant thing, mostly regarding race, has happened over over this last week, over this last weekend. Is my pastor going to bring this up? Mm-hmm. And when we just continue to say like, hey, how's everyone gone? All right, let's talk about how to love each other. Like, to me, I'm like, I think it's a hard place to be if um, we don't acknowledge it. And I, I can't speak for all the professors on our campus, but maybe in some of my relationships or maybe some assumptions I've had with people in the workplace is that oftentimes people feel like they aren't equipped to have these types of conversations. Like, ah, like I actually don't know what it's like to be brown or black. Like I can't actually engage in conversations about diversity. Like I know there's, I have, you know, there's a lot of people in my life who are just like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want like, what does that look like? But to me, it's like the willingness to engage similar to what everyone is talking about, being honest about our history and then starting from there. I just don't see how we can't talk about it. Okay, I have another question to ask, and then I'm also going to give you guys the opportunity to unmute, and Bryce is going to lay out some ground rules for the next few questions, but a really great, great question I just got is, looking at the church's role, or lack thereof, in the role of protest, is there any way they can, as a whole, reconcile the deep pain that has been caused by their silence? Is that even possible? I think until we acknowledge what has happened in the past and what is continuing to happen, that will never be a thing. I think for a lot of people, after the murder of George Floyd, it was a wake-up call of like, I just didn't know racism still existed. Like, that's a crazy thing. And there were tons of murders before George Floyd even happened this summer. And so I think until there is a true acknowledgement of the history and then that it's still present today, I don't think that there can be any conversations moving forward. This isn't necessarily from the church, but I think I'm the only um, model that I think would be helpful would be something more like South Africa's um, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, some kind of big process like that. I wish the church would do more of that kind of big level things where there's there's apology, there's reparation, there's all kind of sy- systems created that give people a chance to inform the public what happened to them and what the atrocities that happened to them and say it and to get that out and and for for it to be heard by the perpetrators and and even the ancestors of those perpetrators so i think that scale we have to think that radically to if we're talking about healing from our generational sin of racism it's like our big it's like our deep one in this country we got to think pretty big on that level that's my opinion i don't know but I haven't seen the church at large doing something that that vast and systemic. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Thank you, Rusty, <clears throat> for sharing. As Hannah mentioned, we want to um, allow an opportunity for folks who want to to be able to allow their, their voices to be heard. And, um, you know, we know that individuals are are bringing a multitude of experiences as well as perspectives and forms of education. And I also believe right, learning occurs in community. Uh, it, part of what I love about this panel is that there are a myriad of social identities present. And so I'm curious for folks who engage in protests, how you integrate the consciousness of your multiple social identities in the process of protesting. 
does that make sense? So to be clear, so social identities are, tend to be the, the broad identities that we hear about around quote unquote diversity. So you have racial identities, you have ethnic identities, you have religious identities, gender identities, sexual identities, nation, uh, nation of origin or national identity, different ability statuses, things like this. And so part of my question comes from things that I've seen and heard where some people are like, well, white folks shouldn't be involved in Black Lives Matter protests. Right or men shouldn't be involved in marches for women's rights, something like that. Right, and and um, and so I'd be curious for those of you all that you know participated, how you make sense of social identities within protests, particularly protests that are oriented around a particular group of population. I've yet to join a protest that was for cisgendered white males like myself. <laughs> Most of the time, I have had to join as a, as somebody who's standing in solidarity. I think the posture of, of solidarity really speaks, and this um, first foot forward of how do you lament with people? How do you um, weep with those who weep? How do you, just being present with them physically, bodily is different than just, uh, just coming in. And one of the things is one of my little tiny critiques of the last when I was involved in Newburgh, a, a good Black Lives Matter showing and then i mean it was probably halfway through the white folks like must started grabbing the megaphone and kind of taking over the voice and i kind of was like what's going on you guys i think that's just like that was a check and that i'm always having me is like how am i it's not my voice that needs to be heard it's others that need to be amplified so i'm there to use i i wish in those situations that i was kind of a catholic or something with a priest collar so I could, that's the only time I would wear it we would be at a protest to show that like the church is here for once or uh, just to like visibly say we're here and we're not talking and we're we're going to amplify other voices and we're standing arm in arm these are our neighbors we're loving them I think that's a better posture for me in my identities better than stand back stand by <laughs> I think for me it's been like an interesting place too like I as a student at Fox, like they're, the community looks so much different than it does now, which is just saying something. And I grew up in a mostly like white neighborhood, all the schools, like sports teams, um, even coming to George Fox, mostly in white spaces. And so I honestly didn't try and like wrestle with my own identity until after college. And being biracial, it's also hard being like, I'm black, but I'm also like Samoan. And so how do those things intersect? Like I've never lived around any of my families and been in predominantly those types of cultures. So sometimes feeling like, am I enough for this place? Am I enough for this place? Can I even have a voice? Can I say Black Lives Matter? Like all those things. And it's been having to wrestle with that. Um, with my own identity and getting to this place of, you know, I think Bryce and I got to like go back and forth of like, Bryce doesn't like one of these like black TV shows that is like, wait, Bryce, are you serious? Like, you don't like Martin? Like I thought I grew up on that show, but knowing like that I can, I am black, I am biracial and I can own who I am and my um, story. And I have a voice to enter into these spaces. And then for all of the people surrounding me, like my, a lot of my really close friends who are white, it's like, all I need for you is just to be a good ally and to support and know that I need you here. Like, I know sometimes it's a little bit, they can feel intimidated of being like, I just don't know how to show up. And I'm like, as long as you're shoulder to shoulder with me, like, that's just what I need. Yeah. So I would say, like, it's a little tricky in, like, my specific circumstance because 
my like identity is concealed at all times uh if i am like in the streets like physically like no one can really like see me or 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 judge really anything about me and so it's it's been really interesting like as a white person to observe these these dynamics these like social identities at play in very like emotionally heightened spaces in places where where the goal is to uplift black voices and uh listen to black leadership and take directive you know as to what what we should be doing in these protests from the people that we are hopefully supporting and and standing shoulder to shoulder with um so like for me personally i don't really take an active role in in most of this stuff i'm i'm there i'll yell i'm not gonna like you know i it's i i wouldn't say that like my social identities come into play necessarily beyond being an accomplice in these protests that are happening like i i think when i'm there my identity is a supporter like like a, a you know a comrade if you will so yeah that's a that's an interesting question i think like for me this question is super important when it comes to like knowing when to speak and when your voice matters and when it doesn't and when you need to let someone else speak like about themselves for themselves and it's like it's not your oppression it's like don't appropriate that oppression like that's theirs let them speak about it you know what i mean like like i guess in my like community i think when is it important for me as a latina woman to say that i support like the blm protests and when is it not important for me to say it and like evaluating the space and like knowing the people you're around and who's gonna hear you that's super important so it's a lot about like reading the space and like telling people that you're an ally and you support this and like you want to see like justice occur but when it's also important for somebody to say that themselves and like for them to speak yeah that's a, a great point that you bring up like like being a vocal supporter of the things that you are involved in like when i'm not in the streets when you know my face is not covered like i i do like talk about this with with people and like make a point with people that i'm in close contact with like this is what i'm doing this is what i am supporting i will not like be quiet about it because this is important and so so yes i think i i use my social identity my you know I, i'm a white person i have a lot of privilege and i'm trying to use that in my very predominantly white circles uh, to at least just bring attention at, at the bare minimum yeah and i think that intersection of identities is really interesting too some one of the conversations we had last year was when we had a lot of discussion um about um, LGBTQ rights and representation on campus and what that looks like is there what there was a task force there was a subcommittee and a lot of really great work was done there was progress there were changes that were made and something that a lot of my friends brought up to me is like hey this is super great that this is happening but students of color have been asking for better rights and better representation for years here and received very little and so as with my um, 
identity as a queer woman of color? How do I integrate those two? And that's just, that's going to be an ongoing question. And if you guys want to be a part of any sort of discussions about representation and better rights and better um, safety for any sort of minority at the school, I would love for you guys to email me. But I think that's a, that's a question that we just have to keep asking ourselves. Where do our different social identities, when do they come in and when do they need to stay out? I am going to unmute a person to ask a question. Hi. Um, yeah. I had a question that was an extension, kind of a crisis question um, about like when one of those identities that you have is a job within the system, like working for the government or in, in like, you know, the case of George Fox, like working for George Fox. I would love to hear more about like the relationship of protest to also trying to enact change from within a system. So like, you know, as I imagine, there's a lot of good folks here who are working for a change within George Fox for like more representation, you know, for like students of color, for black students, for like LGBTQ plus students. Um, but the question being like, yeah, I would, I think that's a complicated relationship also because sometimes, you know, certain forms of protest could put a job on the line or might not even be possible from like within the system. So I would love to hear about like what folks think about like when to make the decision of which one to engage in. Cause you know, sometimes, sometimes they're mutually exclusive. Sometimes they're not, you know, it's complicated. So that's my question. That's a really good question. <laughs> Is it possible to say I'm still working through that? Uh, <laughs> so I'm going into my eighth year and I do feel like there've been moments throughout my time here on campus. I have really, in, in my place of work, I have really, been the only person of color for the last seven years outside of like some interns that we'll have and i think it just you know especially this summer i think things just started boiling to the surface not just for what was happening in the summer but i think for all like just the exhaustion of like i'm still here like there are just different things that come up and being part of a system and really wrestling with like, is this still a place that I can be at? You know, I had an overall good experience at George Fox, but the person that I am now is very different than the person who came into school um, in 2008. And so for me, really wrestling, like, can I be here for my own health? Do I still believe in this work? Like, is this a safe place for me? Like, those were all questions to ask. And I feel grateful to have been connecting with some other black folks on campus that really was life-giving and was really good. And I think to where the distinction came from is I realized that the system, um, the educational system, George Fox and education in general is not made for all students. Like I completely know that, but I also believe that students should be at the table, like all students. I think that all students should have a place to be transformed to be in community, students of color, students coming from the LGBTQ community. I believe that students have a place. And so that is why I'm still here. Not because it's like perfect every single time or because like I still don't face microaggressions or have to just be annoyed with some things, but I'm like in the space and in the influence that I can have, I want to make a trail for other students. And I want to be in community with people who are like, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do the hard work. And until I feel like maybe there's another door that's open, then maybe that's a place in which um, it would be a good time to leave. But right now, I still believe in that. Honestly, me protesting is me showing up to work every day and saying, 
I believe that more students should have a place at the table here. Keisha is amazing. Oh my goodness. Amen. That was good stuff. <laughs> We're so lucky to have Keisha. Um, I'm going around and around with this one, man. Oof. Probably like eight years ago, I had an intern on my staff who was pretty much determined that I needed to lay my job online for every possible issue that he was thinking of. And I, I think around that year, I came up with the phrase, uh, well, I only have one arrow in my quiver. Like I can only do it once. You know what I mean? If that's what it comes to, is it, are we at last resort? Uh, and kind of like Keisha, well, yeah, there's a lot of things I might not be just exactly the same with in the systems uh, that govern a place like George Foggs. Like I, I have to ask that question, can I creatively love and profess and protest through my job in better ways than laying my job on the line? Can I, on the microphone in chapel or in my counseling office or in the life groups, can I liberate? with solidarity with people? Can I be present with people and validate their existence here uh, and their thriving here? Th there was another huge fork in the road, I think. I think after the 2014, I think after Ferguson, we had a little demonstration in the quad. And I mean, everybody was out that when I mean, a president was out, a lot of faculty. And I felt like, and it was like right after, I felt like, whoa, this is different. And then right immediately after that kind of, uh, it was hushed and it, it got really um, partisan really quick. And uh, that was, that one made our hearts sink pretty good. And it made, made us question and made me start doing the evaluating thing of, uh, am I a fit for this place? Those kind of things, that's just being honest. But I, in the end, I try to see the colleagues and people I work with as colleagues and neighbors first, instead of the man, <laughs> you know, I do like to talk to people like Robin Baker and see him as a person first, as a neighbor. And is there any way we can converse about things uh, before I pull that, that one arrow out of the quiver kind of thing? Uh, and um, that's because I'm here a long time and I might be here longer than I think students will be here kind of quickly. So that's just like, it's more of a, I have more roots. I have children that live in this town and I have a family that's depending on me. So I have a lot more other things to decide about. But at the same time, I mean, following Jesus takes more courage than I have sometimes and uh, calls me to some things that are scary. And I don't know if I step up to the plate all the time, but it's, um, that's definitely something around around this time around. And the other time was like um, after Ferguson to now, when I when I when George Floyd was killed, and the response after that, and to hear, oh, to read George Fox Facebook say Black Lives Matter, I was like blown away by that. Actually, in my tenure at Fox, I was like, we have, I think we've moved the needle. I don't think we've arrived. I think we moved the needle because I like six years ago, I wouldn't have heard that because that would have been, Ooh, no, no, no. And so I don't know. I, I don't know if that's the right way to be, but that's just how we've been. So grace and peace on that. Thanks. Thank you so much for your, like Bryce said, thank you for your vulnerability on that. Okay. Um, I want to take one more question and I am unmuting Abby now. <laughs> hey. Um, my question is specifically about church, um, and it's kind of a similar question that, or a similar 
topic that we've been talking about, but especially regarding the things that Victoria mentioned earlier, as we are protesting in our own churches and suing for change, when, when do you stay and when do you leave? That's really hard. I think it's really painful too. Um, I think being a part of a church, we church hopped a lot in high school growing up. It wasn't until after college that I really was like, I'm going to try and plant roots within a church and be part of it and not just someone that goes on Sundays, but no one knows who I am. And when I did that and I was there for three years, it was so good. There was just so much like fruit and community and people that I still have relationships with, but finally get like multiple things happening um, over and over and just kind of getting the the space of like, I just can't keep subscribing to this. Like at some point you're thinking of what is it that I'm looking for most? Like, what is it that I need? Like for me, it was about the safety of myself and I couldn't follow a pastor who wasn't willing to talk about hard things. And that was really painful because there were a lot of broken relationships with that. But I think that's okay too. And then there's kind of this wayfinding too. I mean, it, um, after some good counsel, I had a good friend of mine say, take seven months just to not try and find a new church, but just to reflect and figure out what next steps are. And so for me, I want to plan. I want to know things. I'm like, I want to know people already. And it's even from the broken relationship of that church, it has still been an ongoing process. Like, I think there's still hurts that you carry of like, all right, are we really going to be about something? Are we, is this church going to be any different? But I think now that like Jesus is with you in that and mourns with you in the pain and in the wayfinding of trying to find a new place. But I, I got to a point where I was like, it's okay for me to leave and it's okay to trust that God will provide in different ways. Yeah, I would say, so I, a personal experience that I had, like kind of in the process of leaving the church that I was a part of for my whole life, was I went to the, um, the protest at the airport uh, at, at PDX in 2017, must have been, to, to protest the uh, ban on people flying in from like Muslim countries. And I got a very strongly worded message from somebody that I had like previously respected a lot from my church. And she basically just said like, you know, you're spending too much time doing things that are like of this world and you need you really need to like focus back on on what jesus is about and all of this stuff and i was just like whoa like i that and and that didn't that's not what pushed me to to leave the church but that i i hannah and i talked about this a lot like during that time of like when do we stay in the churches that are hurting us and when do we go and and for me it was when i am no longer healthy personally because of these circumstances and when I feel like I can no longer affect change because of my unhealthiness and like when when the majority of the people that I am speaking to will not listen and will not engage and and that's essentially what kind of made me leave there was lots of other factors but like that for me it was like just when am I no longer effective? When am I just dying, essentially? And I feel like that's a, you know, we, we have responsibility in some ways, if we can, to change the systems that we're a part of. 
but you know, you have to count the cost uh, on yourself. It's not worth it. As, as Rusty said, like, like, you know, maybe I have a few more arrows because I don't really have a lot to lose, like personally <laughs> in life. But you do have a limited number of arrows and, and you can't you can't just waste them. And so like, yeah, anyway. I'll try to keep it short, but maybe most of my 20s was me trying to jump ship. And if it wasn't for the Buddhists telling me you can't come here, you gotta stay Christian, <laughs> I think I would have tried to jump ship. Because I had, I was done with like this heavenly head in the heavens Christianity that had nothing to do with on earth. And I, and it was all, you know, my lovely Pentecostal upbringing. What I needed instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater for me was I needed to meet the rest of the body of Christ. I needed to like get to know uh, so, some more um, folks and for them to anchor that heavenly vision to an earthly thing. And, and then that brought me into the realm of like, oh, we also we need to work on this integration of people of different skin tones in church and all kinds of other justice and equality issues so i don't give the buddhists the credit but they literally i was trying to jump ship and they were like you'll bring whatever you have over there here so just stay on your trail stay with your inheritance and then when i um, kind of settled in and was growing up um, i started to realize the baby in my own bathwater of my faith of what it meant to really believe in, in uh, what Jesus was all about. So that's the short answer. It's if I'd love to talk to anybody more about that in, in my office or one-on-ones. There's a long story to that. Yeah, thank you, Rusty. Um, I wanna just say a quick thank you to all of our participants. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this really difficult and necessary conversation. Um, we have reached our time. Thank you guys so much and, want, and wanting to be a part of this conversation. Um, super excited for this year, guys.